place to contemplate. So good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone on screen. I'd like to begin this talk today by um, reminding you of the opening words of one of the sutras in our sutra service, which is called Tore Zenji's Bodhisattva's Vow. And it begins, when I regard the true nature of all things and all living creatures, I find them to be the sacred forms of the Tathagata's never-failing essence. Each particle of matter, each moment, is no other than the Tathagata's inexpressible radiance. Now, I'm going to repeat it again so the words really go in and emphasise a few things. When I regard the true nature of all things and all living creatures, I find them to be the sacred forms of the Tathagata's never-failing essence. Each particle of matter, each moment, is no other than the Tathagata's inexpressible radiance. And then it goes on, as you know, in the sutra to talk about even if someone is abusive to you, like if, even if someone is unpleasant to you, even that is a manifestation of the Tathagata. Mm -hmm. And this dovetails in really well with one of the sutras which we read this morning, which is Joko's um, uh, prose about uh, the... Uh, a cocoon of pain. A cocoon of pain, sorry. Yes. Which is where it's saying right from the very beginning that we worship the pleasant and the comfortable, but we don't want to include the unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And that's what all human beings, and she points out all the various different ways in which we try to do that. But when we bring it into the context of Torres and his Bodhisattva's vow, each moment, each particle of matter, everything is a manifestation of sacredness. Everything has value. And the nature of most religions is that someone initially has realised this, uh, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, what someone, someone's seen into this, that everything is sacred, and then we and then they use a word to describe it like God or Buddha nature, Tathagata, the Tao, or in Japanese, Enri. You know, it's sort of like a word to describe that which can't be described in words. So what do we all do? We worship the word. Right? Oh, God, right. Buddha, we worship that. And then what human beings do, we write sacred texts, so the text becomes sacred. And then we create artwork like Buddhas and, and, and Christ and, and various icons and so on. And we all go around and worship them. They become sacred, right? The churches become sacred. The temples become sacred. But what the original insight was, was everything is sacred. Uh -huh. Now, all, all religions are pointing towards something about the nature of existence whatever you call it, that there's the fact that we're here, that there's something rather than nothing and that there's life rather than no life is extraordinary. 
It's extraordinary. It's beyond our comprehension. Um, But we miss it. It's like we just don't see it in front of our eyes. We're searching for something else when it's there all the time. And um, I'm not saying Zen is any better than other religion. Like anything else, it can be... um, something that blinds us rather than opens our eyes to what is sacred all around us. I suppose one of the things I I practice it and I teach it is that I think doing meditation and being silent and being receptive to what is, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and being embodied is a wonderful way of of recognising the sacredness in everything. And um, if we look at some of the things I, one of the things I love about Japanese culture is the recognition of the sacredness in everyday objects and it's reflected in their, their language. So you take a word, for example, like ohashi, which is a Japanese word for chopsticks, but what it actually is meaning is the O is honorific. So you're actually saying the honourable chopsticks. <laughs> When you, when you say chopsticks in Japanese. So all of these everyday objects, all these household items, are honourable. Right? And, you know, extend it, you know, the honourable spoon, the honourable knife, the honourable plate, the honourable mug, right? the honourable sink, right? the honourable garbage can in which you put the scraps. Right? Everything is sacred. The dirty window is sacred and the clean window is sacred. And extend it even further, right? Um, your honourable anxiety, your honourable depression, mm-hmm. your honourable feeling of resentment that came to you, right? Everything is sacred. It's all, all the manifestation of the same energy. But the nature of human beings is that we narrow it down to the pleasant and the comfortable and we wanted to dismiss the rest and then we no longer see the sacred. We're just looking for what the surface self is wanting for itself to be comfortable or to reinforce its position and validity. And um, when we look at the first koan in our current study, which is Mu, um, and the story again is a monk asks Joshu, the teacher, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? In other words, is a dog sacred as well? Mm-hmm. And Joshu says no. Mm-hmm. On another occasion he said yes, but we take up the no because it's more interesting and more challenging. Because it's through that negation you know, it's there in a lot of religions. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this. Instead of clinging to words, we get beyond the surface of the words to Mu opens up into recognising that everything is sacred. And that's the point of it. Don't be fooled by that little word. Mm-hmm. But then you could... I thought of an, another interesting modern version, you know, that comes probably out of being a... A psychologist. Does a psychopath have Buddha nature? Well, yes. Mm-hmm. Even if you think of someone who commits the most heinous crimes, or even a corporate psychopath or a political psychopath, um, what they're doing may be evil, but it's all a manifestation of the 
the sacred, still energy manifesting in some way, it's still life manifesting in some way. I'm not saying we do nothing about it, right? it's destructive, but there's a way of seeing that this sacredness is, it is everything, nothing's excluded from it. Um, the other night we watched a, a documentary of um, Leonard Cohen, the singer, and um, there was a couple of things struck me out of that. Is you know one of his famous songs is Hallelujah, which is a you know Hallelujah being a, a religious word, which is kind of like a statement of a celebration of the, of sacredness. Mm-hmm. And um, but the word Hallelujah became such a a boring, uncool word, you know, because it's associated with religion and Christianity. And one of the wonderful things he did was sort of make it an everyday word, so it was kind of it was cool, right? To to see that to express the sacredness and everything. And as you may know, Leonard Cohen uh, was a Zen monk for six years at Mount Baldy in in California with um, Sasaki Roshi. And um, when he commented on his Zen experience, he said, well, it's not as though I I found what I was looking for. It's just that the searching was resolved. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can resonate with those words, but those words really resonate with me and my own experience of Zen practice. I didn't get what I was looking for, but the searching was resolved. And when the searching is resolved, you see more clearly that there was nothing that you had to search for. It was already here. Everything was sacred. Even your searching is sacred. Even your delusion is sacred. But it's like, it seems like the end result of Zen practice is we try and we try and we try to find something until we realise it's just a dead end. There's nothing else to find except what is right here, and it's extraordinary. Everything that happens to us is extraordinary. But human beings, being as we are, you know, caught up in our conscious intellects and, you know, worshipping that, which is only a very small aspect of what we are, try to control the future and make plans about what, you know, have goals. That's kind of like, that's what adults do. They have plans and have goals. But when you do that, you're trying to control life. There's no, there's no appreciation of the, the randomness, the accidental, the novelty that occurs in each moment that might take you off here or take you off there. You miss the sort of organic nature of life, its randomness, which is its sacredness. Uh-huh. And so, so many of us, you know, lose sight of this by trying to over-control our lives in some kind of way. One of the things that we don't value or recognise as human beings is we, we live in this sort of conscious intellect and we value that. And we don't recognise that the body, um, the unconscious, the so-called vegetative functions of the unconscious, you know, that that aspect of ourselves, without us even trying to do anything, 
runs the beating of our heart, the breathing of our lungs, you know, all the organic processes that runs all of the organs in our body, that runs all the hormones, the white cells know to attack, you know, things which may be dangerous to the body. There's an intelligence runs through all of us at that organic level, which is sacred. Right? And you might say it's the unconscious aspect of what we are, but we devalue it. Even using the word vegetative function, it's like, well, it's just like a vegetable. You know? And we, we only see the sacredness of the, the conscious intellect or the conscious experience. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but we are that organic intelligence. That's why when we practice meditation and we just experience being embodied, like we, yes, we're conscious of being embodied, we're conscious of the breathing, but it's more like it's the body and the breathing is, is the, the, big, the main deal here, right? and, and you're conscious of it. By doing that over and over again, we, we touch base with much more than just this little little central light going on up here. We touch into the organic intelligence which is in everything, which is in the flowers, in, in the trees, in the clouds and everything. It's like water is. We're, we're made up, I think, 90% of water. Right? And water is everything. There's no boundary to the water in us and the water outside of us. So when we get down to that organic level and that non-conceptualising level um, through sazen that something opens up. So we do have our own ceremony and we have our own Buddhas on the altar and so on. And yes, when we come in, we, we bow to the, to the Buddha and we recognise the, the sacredness of what that what figure is. But really, the spirit in which you come in and you bow to the Buddha, yes, you bow to the Buddha, but you're bowing to everything. Everything, right? not just that thing on the altar. It's just representing the man who, who originally realised this in our tradition. Um, don't mistake the pointing finger for the moon. Don't make the sutras sacred. It's what they're pointing to, which is sacred. One of the ways this manifests too in everyday life, to give an example of it, um, we all become very... Uh, conscious about the destruction of wildlife and the, the destruction of the environment and the importance of saving wildlife. Um, and for instance, we have um, projects, you know, to save koalas because they're heading for extinction. Now, that's a wonderful thing to do. I'm not against the promotion of that. I support it as well. But look how selective we become. Koalas have value. What about goannas right? and brown snakes and red-bellied black snakes and funnel webs and beetles and ants, reptiles? Do we have a Save the Reptiles Fund? Do you know when the, when the bushfires come? No, we, we like koalas because they're cute and cuddly and they're kind of marsupials, so they're kind of like us. Now, we become very, very selective um, in 
terms of what we choose to have value and what we choose not to have value. And so it's always in the essence of a Zen practice to see the big picture, you know, and to see how everything is interconnected. Nothing is excluded, And not to split the world off into that which is pleasant and which is good for me and that which is unpleasant and not good for me and trying to control life by clinging to the pleasant. That's what we all do. That's what creates our our suffering in life. So if we really do take on the spirit of Tore Zenji's Bodhisattva's vow, then we become open to seeing the sacredness, not just in everything, but every action that comes our way. That's why he makes the particular point of saying, even if someone is abusive towards you, and they attack your character or they criticise something you've done, even though they try to make you unsacred, even if they try to make you worthless, even that is interesting. Even that is sacred. We're all challenged by that, including me. Um, But if we really saw very deeply into the nature of the way life is, even that, which would be would be something which is extraordinary. Okay, thank you.